Hello everybody, Adam Parks here with another episode of Receivables Roundtable. Today I'm here with a recurring guest. Um, I'm going to call him a, uh, a guest professor here for us, teaching us about analytics, uh, data mining, data analytics, and artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, large language models. I mean, this man really has a lot of information to share with us today. So without too much to do, um, I have Mr. Jeffrey Schaefer, who is the VP of IT and Analytics with Unifund. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm great. Great to be here again. I really appreciate you coming on. I know we kind of were crossing paths on something totally different. And I, you know, as we immediately started going down kind of that technology discussion path, I thought it would be a lot of fun to have you come back on and talk to us about all that has really changed uh, from an artificial intelligence and machine learning. For those of you that are watching, if you haven't seen the first episode, we'll link that one below. But I highly suggest that you go and check that out and get yourself a better understanding of what those terms really mean in the application of a business. But Jeff, for anybody who hasn't seen our last episode, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got to the seat that you're in today? Sure. Uh, grew up in, in financial services, uh, hence, you know, on this podcast, I guess, 27 years at Unifun, uh, who uh, has been around in the space since the very beginning, back in the, in the mid 80s. Uh, did 10 years running operations, uh, 10 years in the role of IT and analytics, as seven years as the chief operating officer. And then uh, I took a position at the University of Cincinnati. I, I've been adjunct professor at the University of Cincinnati for about 10 years. And uh, last year, I took a full-time position with them and, uh, and continued my role uh, at Unifund. But I stepped uh, down as the chief operating officer from day to day. And I uh, just went back to kind of managing the IT and analytics groups. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I spend my time doing by day. I'm teaching classes around uh, data analytics. I'm in the business college, but uh, in the business analytics department. And, uh, and then, you know, Unifund doing all, all sorts of stuff as well. So Unifund and RDS. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about Unifund and RDS for a minute. And I'm pretty sure that yeah. just about everybody who's watching this podcast should be familiar with both of those organizations. But can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do there? Yeah, well, Unifund probably have heard of uh, one of the one of the debt buyers been in the space for forever. Uh, we buy accounts uh, similar to some of the other debt buyers in the space. Uh, work with the top issuing uh, institutions and, and creditors and, and whatnot. We formed uh, RDS, which is Recovery Decision Science, in 2015, and uh, went out and started uh, helping others with their portfolios. That could be anything from servicing. We've done master servicing for clients. We've done uh, collection servicing, legal servicing, um, and managed portfolios in, in that sense, uh, even document management and handling payments and disputes and complaints and all the fun stuff. Uh, but we also build products that we sell. And uh, that's really where the analytics and the machine learning and the scoring kind of come into play for us uh, because we took scores and analytics that we have built for ourselves over the years and we started selling them in the marketplace through RDS. And so we formed a partnership with LexisNexis. We sell uh, a number of our scores through the LexisNexis uh, risk department, including on the last episode, I think I talked about our uh, deep learning model on real estate and doing some fun things uh, around, around that. And it's very, very predictive in the collection space. Uh, and we sell that score uh, today. And uh, we also have a litigation score um, that we sell through LexisNexis as, as well. So. Um, RDS is, uh, you know, servicing and, and products and analytics um, and, and even some relatively new stuff, you know, newer things that we're coming to market with to even upstream 
like a lending score. And so mm-hmm. that that's that's hot off the press will be our new our latest product will be um, around um, not defaulted loans, but consumers who are seeking uh, credit. And so we have a new lending three new lending scores, actually. Wow. Uh, well, clearly you live at the intersection of technology and financial services, um, and, and especially when it comes to some of these newer and more advanced technologies. Uh, and that kind of brings me to my, my big question here today. You know, As I've been going to a lot of conferences over the past couple of weeks, almost every single one of them has been talking about the CFPB and the CFPB's focus on artificial intelligence. And, you know, I, I know you're kind of the perfect guy to be asking questions about this particular intersection here, but what are you seeing from the, the CFPB or what are you predicting their real focus or, or what they're trying to accomplish in their focus on artificial intelligence and machine learning? I, I think it's pretty straightforward. Here's here's the historical problem in this field it has been that machine learning uh, models have been thought of as as a black box, mm-hmm. and uh, and so you didn't really know under the hood what what that is. Um, mm-hmm. And so in traditional statistics, you would have something like an explainable model where you could see coefficients. We call them a positive or a negative. It's weighting in a good direction or a bad direction, and so you would know the reason somebody was had a higher score or a lower score or what was creating the outcome. And for many, many, many years until recently, you know, people really had a black box around machine learning models. And so banks for a long time, for example, would steer away from machine learning models because they, they, they weren't necessarily explainable in a traditional sense. Here's the thing is that that world's kind of changed. I mean, we have gotten more advanced with machine learning, deep learning models. We now have ways of explaining them. And so I think really at the essence of what the CFPB is really just saying is uh, you can't just say you're, you got a black box and, and, and say, yep, I have no idea what it's doing. It's just producing this outcome. Um, it really comes down to, no, you're going to be held accountable for um, anything in your model that, that could be uh, a negative impact to a consumer. For example, the one we always test for is disparate impact analysis, sure. right? Everybody, whether it's a collection score or a credit score, lending score, whatever, um, you have to be concerned about, you know, protected classes and what are your scores doing um, as far as a disparate treatment of those things. And so, um, so a couple of things, I, I, uh, I, I did test a screen sharing here, so I, I, I'll just share something real quick. Here's an example of just something that has um, just changed in the last, you know, few years. I mean, in the last year, um, people have really been spending a lot of time figuring out ways to um, explain uh, these models. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it ironic we're on a technical, you know, technology call and the screen sharing doesn't work, right? It's always, it's always, the, you know, it's always these kind of episodes, but let me try it again and see if that'll work. I think you bring up some really good points about the disparate impact and, you know, are you actually watching, right? And, and do you understand what the outcome is going to be based on the inputs that you're throwing in there? Yeah. And so in a traditional model, you throw all those inputs in, you get the coefficients back out and you you know, these are your good variables. These are your bad variables. You know, the weightings of those variables. And in a machine learning model, say, let's say, for example, a neural network, you have all these little connections of these variables in the neural network and you don't really know how they're connected together, like which variable is weighted more or less. And so with some of these new tools, uh, one that we use a lot is um, is Shapley analysis. You know, we do these SHAP values and, um, you know, here's an example of that. And so, you know, we can kind of see like the the 
positive negative impact on the scale. You kind of see like, oh, what is it? it has a high impact or a low impact and it has a high negative impact or it has a high positive impact. Um, and so it gives you visibility into this. And this is just, you know, one of a few tools that we can use now that, uh, you know, you can run against your machine learning models and we know, oh, well, percent, this isn't my model. This is something from the internet, but uh, tax rate or crime rate or percent of working class. Well, percent of working class is, is, um, is a big value. If it's a lower value, it's, it's a big negative impact. And if it's a higher value, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's, it's somewhat of a higher impact, but you see on the left side, uh, it's got this really, um, this, this, dark red right on the on the negative sign of working class you know that this is a high impactful negative variable in your model and so mm -hmm. now you know that um and then you know the second thing the cfpb themselves have published um disparate impact code uh so you take that code and you you don't you're not using any of those variables in your model i hope you're not um whether yeah. somebody is uh you know a race or something like that uh, but you know then you can take that race uh, variable and you can proxy it with the CFPB code and you can run disparate impact uh, analysis against your model. And you can say, oh, here's what the population looks like for my distribution. And here's what my model looks like for my distribution. And you can kind of compare and say, oh, my model is not, you know, it's over lending. You know, it's lending to if you're a, a white male and it's it's not lending to a black male. Well, you could figure that out in your model. Right. And you could know, hey, there really is disparate treatment of this in some form. And so you can go back and, you know, we don't, you'd never use a variable like race, but you might use a variable like zip code or something. Well, yeah. that, that could proxy race. And all of a sudden you have this variable in there that, you know, would proxy something that you didn't intend to do. And so this type of analysis kind of helps you figure that out, right? That you're mm -hmm. treating consumers fairly and equitably and in a, in a consistent manner um, and not uh, skewing the model one way or another uh, in treatment. Yeah, well, the unintended consequence of, of the inputs, right? So you, like you say, being able to load zip code may end up with a result that you weren't expecting. Yeah. Um, but it is good that there's some testing that, that we're able to do at that level. But that, that kind of brings me to these large language models, right? And so on our, the last time that we talked, we talked about you know machine learning, we talked about deep learning, and now we're starting to talk about these large language models. Can you help me understand like where that falls into the spectrum of artificial intelligence? Yeah, well, that that's the hot new topic, right? So last, <laughs> uh, you know, last December, um, OpenAI, you know, released their sort of new interface on ChatGPT. It's been around for a while, by the way. They had this background, you know, sort of interface around for a, a few years and different models. And nobody really paid any attention to them. And, I, you know, two things happened. Their models got bigger and better. And number two, they put a shiny interface on top of it. And, you know, the world took notice. It was like, oh, this, this, this is really amazing. And it's doing some pretty incredible stuff. And then a few months later, they released the bigger version, GPT-4. And all of a sudden that thing is, you know, coding for you in Python and R. Yeah. And, you know, it's writing, you know, documents and it can answer questions. And it's now... You know, these language models have passed the bar exam and uh, passed the medical exam and is in the top tier of SAT scores. Right. It's like the output of these things have gotten really incredible over over time. Um, and it's moving at the at just at the speed of light. Right. It's just I mean, innovation after innovation after innovation. The last time we talked, 
half the things that exist today didn't didn't even exist. They didn't, they didn't have you know these tools available. So um, so it's moving really really fast. I guess a couple things to note would be don't get tied up in the term language, large language model, right? Okay. Um, it, it is good at language. Um, it's, it's great at language. That's what its original use case is. But people have figured out, you know, mathematically behind the scenes, it just takes this language and it converts it into numbers in a, in a matrix. It's like a vector. And so you have this, this vector of numbers. Well, you can take an image and make a vector of numbers. You can take a sound file and make a vector of numbers. You can take a picture and make a vector. So, you know, whether it's video or images or sound, um, that has now transpired to, you know, you can take my voice, sample my voice uh, with a few, you know, with just this 15 or 20 minutes we're talking and punch that into a model and put a script to it. And it sounds like me. It sounds like Morgan Friedman or it sounds like uh, Mike Tyson or whatever. You know, it, it can learn that. Um, video, it can, it can now create, started with images and creating images of anything we can imagine. Now we can do that with, with video. Um, as far as the traditional large language models, there's just so many tasks that it's really, really good at. Um, sentiment analysis, positive and negative, you know, are your customers happy about your product or not? Translation. It's very good at translation. So you want to take something in English and translate it to French or German. It does that really, really well. Um, it does segmentation and classification of things. So you could take uh, statement data from, a, a, you know, so this is an application, you know, that, that we, we've been working on at Unifund. You know, it'll take Exxon Mobil or it'll take Walmart or WM Supercenter and it'll classify that as, you know, uh, fast food or gas or um, department store. So, you know, things like that. So there's so many applications of, of what what it can do. Um, Personally, I think the biggest in my world, the biggest applications are uh, data analysis. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to change the way we do what we call EDA, exploratory data analysis. It's going to just change the way that we do that. Um, and coding, you know, you can you don't have to be a coder anymore. You can just ask ChatGPT to write you a, a code um, and it'll spit that that code out. Um, and again, I mean, since I can share my screen, I'll just... Uh, you know, I'll give you a little little demonstration here if it if it comes up. This is uh this is Chat GPT here. Um, so I have the the plus version. I pay a subscription to this. Um, up here, there's advanced data analysis that's in beta, but it, it's live and working. But if I just use the default model, I'll just say you know list the first ten presidents of the U.S. and you know it'll tell me the first ten presidents of the U.S. Um, it gives me dates of when they were in office and, and so on. While it's doing that, I can say, um, hey, write a Python script uh, to count the words in a CSV document. So how many words are in my document? And I'm asking it to write a Python script. So here goes the Python script. It's going to say, yeah, we can do that. It's going to give me the code. It's going to pop up a code window here. There's my code for Python. I don't have to code anything. I can just run that code in my Python window and it'll figure out how to count the words in a CSV file and do all that, do all that stuff. Um, so that, that's a good example from, you know, a data analysis example. I mean, we could go in here and click on this advanced data analysis. Check this out. I'm going to open up. I'll just open up a file here. I'll just go to my, my uh, data window. And I'll just uh, pick the Titanic data for fun. And I'll just say, 
tell me about this, right? I just dumped a CSV file in here. I didn't even, it has the name Titanic in it, but I didn't say anything about it. Well, what it's doing right now is it's writing Python code to analyze the file. When it's done analyzing the file, it's going to look at its analysis and it's going to start telling me about this file. How many people survived? How many passengers are there? The sex, it has to tell me all the fields. And then I can just say, um, do some EDA on this file, right? EDA is uh, exploratory data analysis. I didn't, I'm not going to tell it what it is. It should know what it is, but do some EDA on this file. Um, certainly some exploratory data analysis. Let's look around and it's going to go run some basic statistics and look at missing values and it'll look at the distribution and the correlation. It'll create some visualizations. So now it's writing its own code. It's running its own code. It's giving me the results of the code. I mean, imagine being able to do this on your data at your office. Like, do you need a data analysis person, right? Like you can do some of this yourself or it certainly changes the way your data analyst is going to be looking at data. It's telling me, um, oh, by the way, the mean of this or the age of this or the ranges of the passenger ID. Um, you know, now it's checking for missing values and it's telling me there's 687 missing values in cabin and now it's running a data distribution. So this to me is the future of where everything's gonna go. Well, I, I think you're, I mean, wow. I'm, I'm like a little floored um, at the level of, um, of tool set. How does the tool set do with the visualization of data? I know that's kind of something that like you've always really lived in. Yeah, from an exploratory standpoint, it does it really well because it will, it says right here, data distribution, let's visualize the distribution. Would you like me to proceed? So now it's writing code to create visualizations. Um, I think from an exploratory standpoint, it's already there. From a polished present to an executive in a slide deck, nah, it's not there yet. You know, you would probably have to take this code and, you know, you do something with it, right? But mm -hmm. look at that. I mean, it just popped out the distribution of these things. It's giving me male versus female. Um, it's giving me uh, uh, the fare. It's giving me the P class. It's, you know, whether they survived or not. And then, you know, it's telling me things about it, right? Like the distribution of the age and here's the fare distribution and here's the sex. There were more males than females on board. Um, and so now it wants to go into analysis. It wants to correlate variables together. I'll say, yes, go ahead and proceed. And so now it'll do analysis. And by the way, it'll even write prediction models. You know, I'll say predict whether a passenger is going to live or die. Um, and so that that's interesting. I think, you know, this this will be um, for all of us in the industry and other industries. This this is kind of the future of where that stuff is, is going. So you see, this is kind of like the future of stratification in, in many aspects as well, right? Because if you're trying to understand what's within a large data set, I mean, this is the capability of visualizing that information and looking at an anal like analyzing it in a number of different ways. I mean, it's almost an infinite breakdown. It, yeah, but it, it, goes, it ties things? back, if I can jump in, it ties back to your first question about the CFPB, because now you say, okay, well, how, you know, you need to explain your model. Look at this. It just ran a data set that we didn't do anything with. And it says what the data is doing, right? There's a negative correlation between this and that. There's a weak correlation between this and this. There's a positive correlation between survived and fair. And there's a strong negative correlation between P-class and fair. So, I mean, talk about explainable model. It just explained all the interactions of all the variables with me on the fly. 
That is wow. Um, I mean, that is exactly what the future I, th- I think is starting to look like. Um, now, I know when it comes to ChatGDP, one of the things that we are constantly hearing about is like what happens when you're feeding the model and are you feeding that model, you know, proprietary information versus non-proprietary information. How does that break down in terms of the application for a financial services firm? It's a great question. I didn't even feed that question to you, but you know what? That is an awesome question. Um, The future of AI, I think, is going to be open models that people develop themselves. There's a website Mm -hmm. called Hugging Face, which is sort of like the GitHub of the machine learning world. And it has all of the open LLMs. And so these are these are all open source, commercially viable models that people can download and use. And um, some require heavier equipment than others. These 70 billion parameter models, these are at the top of the scoring list. So these are the best performing models. But just to give you an idea, this Llama 2 model has been at the top of the list for uh, the last six weeks or so. A lot of Llama 2 on here. And uh, it's been scoring really, really well. And it's comparable to ChatGPT. And it's an open source model. Um, I can, in fact, I am on a webinar. I have my video running. I have... Um, I don't know how many tabs, 100 Chrome tabs running. I have uh, Tableau open. I have Notepad. I have all this stuff open on my machine at this moment right now. This is an interface to the Llama 2 model that is running on my laptop. I could literally disconnect from the internet right now and this model would run. And I asked it before to write a short paragraph here. I'll ask it the same question I asked um, previously, which is, you know, list the first uh, 10 presidents of the U.S. Now, imagine you're at a bank. Um, You can load this model up on a server. You can run this on a server. It's running just like ChatGPT. Your data is not going anywhere. It's in a secure environment. Yet it's acting just like ChatGPT, right? A Python script, um, Python, spell it correctly, to count the words in a CSV file. And now I have, this is a 13 billion parameter model. It takes up about 10 gigs on my laptop. I have a high-end video card on my laptop, like a gaming computer, so Mm -hmm. it can run. Um, but look at this. It's generating Python code. It's answering questions. It's doing all of this stuff that ChatGPT is doing. And I don't even have to be connected to the Internet. It's it's fully siloed. Right. So the future of this is you're going to take a Llama 2 model, um, which is running over here. This is where I load my model. I, I'm going to have a Llama 2 model and I'm going to take Llama 2 and take my medical data and attach it to it. I'm going to have a medical uh, database. I'm going to take my financial data and tie it to it. I got a finance database. So I'm going to build custom, you know, proprietary uh, coding based on one of these language models. I'll, I'll, I'll basically fine tune it and create more embeddings from my own data. Um, imagine every law firm having access to all the cases. They'll have, you know, legal llama, right? It'll be legal llama model. So, yeah, that's I, I think people will not put their data on chat GPT. They'll they'll run it. Locally. They'll be able to run all that locally. I, I, and it, it's interesting when you talk about the, uh, the physical requirements to run that kind, of, um, that kind of model, being able to run that from any kind of a laptop is just mind-blowing. Um, I mean, it, it's really mind-blowing. 
I think that it doesn't even. Yeah, no, I mean, at, the, at our office, we have a server that has a Unifun. We have a server that has, you know, some high end video cards in it that we use for mm -hmm. deep learning. You know, we could run it on there. You could get a high end video cards are now getting very, very expensive. I mean, um, you, you need a five, six thousand dollar video card at the start to do some of this stuff. And that can go up to thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to get a video card to do this. But um, that's where I think the big companies are, are kind of going to go to. They're going to. They're basically going to build their their own internal, you know, versions of this based on their own proprietary data. No, I mean, that, that's that's the best explanation I've ever heard about how we'd be able to actually leverage the tool set without having to uh, commingle data, right? Co commingling data from a whole bunch of different places and different ownership and, and all of the things that come along with that. Wow. I, uh, Jeff, honestly, I, I, you, you kind of blew my mind a little bit again today. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and having this chat with me. I know I just learned a lot from this conversation about the application of how these technologies and tools might actually be usable. And although I've seen a whole bunch of presentations on it lately, I haven't had anybody who's actually been able, they've just posed the questions. This is the first time where I'm really hearing the answers to the questions about how do you keep that information you know, separated and segregated? How are we actually gonna be able to use these models? How can you address the black box um, scenario that the CFPB sees? And you're literally talking about the model explaining the model itself. Um, so I'm just, at, at this point, I feel like a student in one of your classes or like I need to be going to, uh, to the University of Cincinnati here just to, uh, to continue to learn on this. Wow, I, I just, I can't thank you enough for your time today. This is amazing. It's always a lot of fun. And if you're interested in learning more about any of our prediction models that we've developed at RDS, uh, like I said, we have litigation prediction. If you're doing uh, lawsuits, you know, are you suing the right people? You know, we think we can probably help you there. Uh, your, the real estate score is very predictive um, in many aspects of what we're doing. And so, uh, yeah, we have some a suite of products. And uh, if you don't want to do it yourself, you can hire us as a service or two. So, um, yeah, check out recoverydecisionscience.com. Well, I will put links to both Unifund and RDS below to make sure that anybody who's interested in learning more can easily find you guys, um, because I think you're doing some really amazing things um, in an industry that's so heavily regulated for you to be able to find the avenues that enable you to execute on these things while staying within the parameters and guardrails that have been set up is just truly amazing. Um, for those of you that are watching, if you have additional questions you'd like to ask Jeff or myself or additional topics you'd like to see us cover, you can leave those in the comments on LinkedIn and YouTube. And hopefully I'll be able to get Jeff to come back again and continue teaching me about AI, machine learning, large language models, chat GDP. I mean, what a great conversation. I just can't thank you enough for this one, Jeff. I'd be happy to. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for those of you who are watching, again, if you have any questions, comments, leave them below and we'll talk to you all again soon. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks.